Happy Tuesday, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Line Change, the Hockey Podcast. My name is Jeremy Paul, and I'll be your host today. I'm so glad that you could join me to talk about the hockey news of the day, as we're going to break down some things both on the ice and some things off of the ice. And I do want to give a special shout out to my dear friend, Corinne Naylor, for giving me this microphone to use for podcasting so it doesn't sound like I'm recording on a TI-84 calculator. That last episode was rough, y'all, the trailer. We, we don't have to go back to that, and so we're going to stick with this. Hopefully, this is a little bit better for you, and you can understand me a little bit clearer, and you're not dealing with my weird mouth pops and all that kind of deal. So thank you again, Corinne. Uh, I do appreciate it. If you didn't get a chance to check out the trailer, no worries. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what line change is going to be about. And we're going to kind of recap a little bit about what that trailer was, give you a little bit more context about me as your host, and then we're going to get started and dive into some good conversation. So a couple of years ago, I was uh, able to take a senior level graduate course, or not graduate course, but a, um, a general education course at my alma mater, went to Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio. And this class was dedicated to the study and analysis of sports within society. And so in this course, talked about implications of sports in society and how uh, there's a larger societal perspective of sport and how that can really engage and interact with uh, society as a whole. And so we talked about how sports uh, can be a great unifier and how sports can be a great divider. We also talked a little bit about the social barriers to sports, you know, whether they're intentional or not, we know that they exist in some ways or, or others. And I think one of the most interesting ones that was unclear, and it was an example posed by the professor in our first class, was why are the majority of professional hockey players born in the months of January to March? All sorts of weird ass answers to that question when she posed it. Some being like, well, if you know January through March is the hockey season, and so is that part of it? Is it because you know hockey's going on around the birthday time and maybe a birthday party focuses around a hockey game or things like that? But the real answer was because the young athletes that were born in those months were usually the oldest in terms of the registrations for the seasons. And so they snuck into a season where they would be the oldest, most developed, and they were able to get more uh, you know, intentional development from their coaches. Their coaches would focus more on them because they would be the bigger kids, they would be the faster kids, the more developed. And I think that's a really interesting way that you know, we talk about how a lot of things can be covert and unintentional. And of course, nobody, when they make the registration deadline for a sport, they're thinking, you know, oh, well, the kids who are born 11 months from this registration, they're the ones that are going to advantage. And so, um, you know, some things that we, we need to think about and some things that we need to talk about. And obviously, we had a critical dialogue on some of the more overt things that we talk about when we talk about the differences in sports and we talk about the access to sports. Talked about the underrepresentation of athletes in some sports uh, versus the overrepresentation of athletes in some others. We talked about how predominantly white ownership in sports can really have an impact on the sports themselves. And so we take a look at ownership in leagues such as the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and we think, you know, how does that mirror that of the, the athlete that's playing the sport and how does that change the context of the sport that we're taking in? 
And again, I do want to reiterate that I, I am just a hockey fan. I've never played hockey. I think that'd be scary <laughs> to see me play hockey. I did play football, so sports and participating in sports isn't something that I'm not accustomed to or not aware of. But hockey itself, I've never played hockey. But hockey's been dear to me since I was about eight years old. I attended my first Columbus Blue Jackets game with my dad and my uncle and my brother in 2006. And we uh, went to a Minnesota Wild game uh, there in Nationwide Arena, or against the Minnesota Wild, I should say. Grew up a big Blue Jackets fan, still a big Blue Jackets fan. So if anytime I'm biased, call me out, please. So, um, you know, the Jackets were down 3-1 to one to the Minnesota Wild uh, after the second period. And I thought that, like, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, right? Like, sports, like, you don't lose in sports in Columbus, Ohio. It was Ohio State and, you know, all that kind of nature. And, I mean, even the crew, uh, you know, Columbus Cressy, you know, winning championships, the Columbus Clippers winning championships. You don't really lose unless you're the Columbus Blue Jackets in Columbus. And so I was unaccustomed to this idea of losing. And so we're down 3-1. Uh, jackets come back they tie it up 3-3 and my dad's like oh you might see overtime hockey and before I got the opportunity to even ask what that was Sergey Fedorov then and I didn't understand like the at the time like how big of a deal this was that Sergey Fedorov played for the Columbus Blue Jackets but uh Sergey Fedorov scored won the game won four to three uh and that like watching the arena go crazy you know watching the Jackets come back I mean that just cemented it for me that was when I was like oh yeah this is everything that I want it to be in a sport this is everything I want to take in and so the next time I went to a Blue Jackets game was the next year. I went with my dad again. Jackets won four to nothing over the San Jose Sharks, and I'm like, "Damn, I could get used to this." And and I I still haven't gotten used to it with the Blue Jackets. It I thought, okay, this is gonna be great, and I I was just wrong <laughs> in a lot of ways. But an, another key aspect of my identity and who I am is is I'm really passionate about social justice and activism and, and equity and inclusion. And I always wondered how. I could how, how I could merge those things. I think a lot of my passions don't necessarily like line up in a really predominant way. But over the course of the last few months and and a few years, I started to really understand that obviously social justice and activism has to be ingrained in everything that we do. I also am in a master's program studying college student personnel at Ohio University, uh, where I'm work look where I currently work with sororities and fraternities. And that's a big part of what we do there too, right? I mean, we have to really work intentionally to ensure that our organizations are being uh, advocates, allies, and they're, you know, advocating for social justice and inclusion within their organizations and within their larger communities. And so I didn't know how to merge those things. I didn't know that if it was okay to merge that love for social justice and activism and hockey. And, and, and that's also coming from the perspective of a white man, right? Like I need to also check myself on that and say that my perspectives as a white man, they might be totally off base and I need to be called on that. And it's not always the job of the person who, um, you know, is upset or, you know, is, is, you know, impacted by my comment to tell me that I've said something wrong. So we really, as white folks, need to hold each other accountable in these moments too. So if, if I say something, you know, anybody, feel free to let me know. I'm going to try my best to make sure that I give my perspective in a way that is clear, concise, and, you know, open for conversation and dialogue. But if for any reason during this entire podcast, I say something that comes off in a way that impacts you, uh, please let me know. Because oftentimes, you know, we talk about intent and impact and, my intent will always be positive, but if my impact is negative, I should know that and I should I should work to fix that. But I began to really, you know, wonder how 
the hockey world was going to react to the things such as the police killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the shooting of Jacob Blake and, and, you know, countless others. I mean, those are the names we say, but we know that list is so much longer. And we know that the silence of the hockey world has been deafening in a lot of these cases. And, and obviously we can talk about why that is in, in later episodes and in later conversations, but that was really the, the biggest awakening point for me. And I think, you know, I listened to a lot of really, you know, great folks and we'll talk a little bit about them a little bit later, but I think this idea of like tough love and the things that we care about so deeply. So hockey, you know, I love hockey. I, I want to see hockey be the best that it can be. And it's not right now. And the only way that it can be the best that it should be is if we begin to hold, you know, the teams that we love, the players that we love accountable for the things that they do off the ice too. I mean, on ice production, we can talk about, we can talk about stats. We can talk about goals. We can talk about results. You know, uh, there are plenty of podcasts for that. And I'm not going to lie. We're going to talk a little bit about that on that, on this podcast too, but, but we need to have these really meaningful and honest conversations about what's happening off the ice and how the organizations, if they are contributing to these things are being performative, if they are, um, you know, making statements and they're not acting. And so we're going to talk about that um, during this podcast. And so I've kind of gotten off on a tangent and I'm sure that won't be the first time that I do that, or that won't be the last time that I do that. Um, And so I, again, I want to say like my voice might not necessarily be the one to moderate this conversation in hockey, but I do hope that I can start to push that conversation a little bit. And hopefully I can bring on some folks throughout the time of this podcast that can offer a perspective that is different than mine and might be able to give a better perspective and enlighten folks in a way that I cannot. So again, these amazing journalists and podcasters have brought fresh perspectives to sports and and hockey in general. Uh, specifically, I want to give a shout out to the Too Many Men podcast uh, that's hosted by Allison Lucan, Sarah Sivian, and Shayna Goldman. And it, it's incredible. I, I've never felt like I never thought that I was the right kind of hockey fan, if that makes sense, because I didn't necessarily subscribe to a lot of those misogynistic, homophobic, and racist things that are in, intertwined in the sport of hockey and you see in a lot of fandoms. And not all fandoms. I, I do want to say, like, that is not. And every fan is not racist, homophobic, and bigoted. Uh, I do want to say that. But obviously, like at sporting events across the country, multiple sporting events, like that's ingrained in the idea of sport. And so uh, I never really thought the way that I did fandom was right until I listened to this podcast. And, you know, I'm hearing these these journalists talk about, you know, their perspectives. And, and they're all three of them are really, you know, they're advocates, they're allies. Um, towards social justice and inclusion and progression within the sport. And I was like, damn, okay, I can do that. Like, that's that's cool. That's the kind of fan that I want to be. That's, and I'm not saying they're fans, but like that, that's the kind of fan that I want to be. I want to emulate that energy and be that kind of fan. And it got me to think, that's the kind of thing I want to speak out on too. Like, that's the kind of thing that if I'm going to love this sport, I have to recognize and acknowledge the things that it does that, that are wrong and, and incorrect. And so that's what I want to do here. Um, so I do want to say big shout out to those three really incredible women. Um, they're doing great work. And if you're not following them, you really need to. You need to subscribe to that podcast. You need to review it, do everything you can, buy their merch. They're really incredible. And they do a lot of things for social justice and activism. They, they really got involved in raising money in different things and different causes. And so definitely check them out. They're really great. 
I do want to say, though, that my dream is to guest host one of their Fuck, Mary Kill segments that they do at the end of their episodes. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you really just need to give the podcast a listen. But I'm just putting that out into the universe so that way, uh, if they ever get a chance to hear this, they'll they'll know that I'm out there and I'm available uh, to do that. And getting back on topic... You know, in this episode, I really did want to take some time to focus on the way the hockey world reacted to the shooting of Jacob Blake, especially as the movement in the sports world began by the Milwaukee Bucks protesting the injustices of police brutality on black folks by not taking the court. And then you see that followed by Major League Baseball not taking the field and also some uh, the Major League Soccer also not taking the pitch. Uh, And as we all know, the NHL players, they took the ice in the bubble. Uh, And some took it so far as to say that the bubble was why they were unaware of the events that were happening in Kenosha and also happening in the NBA bubble and WNBA bubble. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to not chalk that up to the privilege of, of being white athletes, the majority white athletes in a, an environment that allows you to shut yourself off from the outside world. That's not the reality of you know, folks in the WNBA, folks in the NBA, especially black folks in those, in those leagues who, you know, this is a reality that they're living. And so I think, you know, we can't talk about hockey's lack of reaction without talking about that and talking about how, you know, for a lot of these NHL players, they're dissociated from the reality of, of their black peers in, in sports. And so I think that's something we really need to address and we really need to talk about, you know, past this listening and learning phase, but then also that action phase. And I think we're not even through that listening and learning phase clearly. Um, And so, you know, through the lobbying of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which I do want to talk about a little bit here in a minute, the NHL did decide to postpone games Thursday and Friday, continuing the playoffs on Saturday. And in the Western Conference, Ryan Reeves and some of his peers were, you know, at the front of their, uh, you know, press conference table uh, that the NHL set up for these press briefings, or not press briefings, but these press conferences hosted by coaches, players, teams, etc. And surrounded by, you know, players from the bubble of every team, just like, yeah, it was a really powerful image in sports. And I, I came across a tweet that showed, you know, we're, we keep getting the the image that's like the straight on shot of Ryan Reeves in the front and then, you know, a handful of players surrounding him. If you if you see this panned out shot, you know, there are curtains that kind of break break off the rest of the group, but past those curtains, past those curtain legs, there you know, are are twenty to thirty more players on each side that that aren't in the shot. So you don't get the full story there. It's it's most of the players it seems like that are in this bubble or at this press conference, and that's incredible. Like that sh- that sign of solidarity is really important. And I was really moved by the Western Conference's reaction to uh, you know the postponement of these games and and Ryan Reeves you know leading the charge in the Western Conference. But then I, I was really disheartened by it seemed the Eastern Conference you know obviously also postponing games. You know they were I just didn't get that same feeling of unity and same feeling of you know support for the black community specifically the black hockey players within the bubble and and outside of the bubble, and so. For me, I, I had to think, you know, why why could that be? You know, why is that movement happening? So so is why is that so grandiose in the Western Conference and really powerful and moving? And why am I really underwhelmed by the Eastern Conference's reaction? So I had to I had to put that, you know, in the back of my mind and kind of contemplate, you know, why why is that? Why did that happen? And why am I feeling this way about that? You know, and also on top of that, we got some teams, and I'm looking at my Columbus Blue Jackets, who haven't said a goddamn thing in the wake of 
this post the postponements of games and these moments of reflections um you know on the current state of our country and in the sports world and that's disheartening uh to say the least i think you know that's tough especially in 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 these communities it's hard to you know engage with a professional sports team that might not even see you and might not even hear you and might not say things on your behalf or might not speak out for you and and work to be a better ally to your communities. And so that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, And I'm still waiting for a comment, but I guess in some ways, if the comment was just going to be performative and it wasn't going to come with any actions, maybe I didn't want the comment. Maybe just say it with your chest, but I'm still going to push back uh, and say that, you know, I'm really disappointed. The Blue Jackets are not the only team that hasn't released a statement in the wake of, of the postponement of games. But, man, I, I got to tell you that that surprised me. And I, I was a little bit miffed by it. Um, and I think a lot of folks should be. I think a lot of people should hold their teams accountable. If your team is one of the teams that has not released a statement, you know, especially if you're a season ticket holder or if you're just a fan, like write to, write to the marketing teams and write to, you know, the, the sales teams and say, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I can confidently give my money to this organization if they're not going to, you know, work toward bettering hockey and work toward being allies in the community. So I do want to go back to the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Uh, and again, um, this is, if, if you're not familiar or if you need some more context, the Hockey Diversity Alliance is founded by prominent members of the hockey community, um, such as Akeem Alou, Evander Kane, Trevor Daly, Anthony Duclair, Matt Dumba, um, Nazem Kadri. Uh, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. And um, this is a group of folks that are dedicated to the advancement of social justice and activism within the NHL, doing really meaningful work, uh, has been outspoken, you know, here for a few months. This is not like the beginning of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. So we should we should give credit and say that this is this has been happening. This isn't, you know, this didn't form over the weekend, over the course of these protests that are happening uh, in various sports. And so um, the HGA charged the NHL in July, mid-July, um, with their pledge and signing their pledge. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit about that pledge today in its entirety to kind of like break down what some of this means um, and kind of raise awareness to that if you are unaware of, of those asks. And so uh, we're just going to kind of run through them if that's okay and then maybe talk a little bit about them here at the end. All right. So the first uh, the first line is, we will accelerate our efforts to ensure that no barriers exist to prevent black individuals from getting hired by and advancing within the NHL and each member of our franchises individually and collectively the league and hereby commit to increase the number of black executives in the NHL to 3.5% before the end of the 2024-2025 season, the employment of black hockey-related personnel to 5% before the end of the 2021 2020-2021 season and 8% before the end of the 2022-2023 season. Three, the employment of black non-hockey related personnel to 10% before the end of the 2020-2021 season and 12.5% before the end of the 2022-2023 season. Uh, and then action item number two, we recognize that it is important that our supplier base reflects the diversity of the communities from which we operate and hereby commit to create an exclusive procurement process that ensures that black suppliers are selected to deliver at least 10% of the league's procurement expenditures before the start of the 2021 season 2020-2021 season three we will ensure that the voices of our black indigenous and racialized players are heard and that they have an opportunity to help change the culture of the league by imposing a requirement that at least 50 percent of the executive inclusion committee or any successor thereof successor thereof shall be comprised of members selected by the hda 
Uh, four, we will implement anti-racism and unconscious bias education within the league and make it mandatory for all league employees before the start of the 2020-2021 season. Five, we'll create HDA-approved policies and sanctions that reflect a commitment to zero tolerance with respect to racial discrimination and abuse before the start of the 2020-2021 season. Six, we will not support, partner with, or accept support from any organization that has engaged in, promoted, or failed to appropriately respond to racist conduct in their organization of any kind, including without limitation the proliferation of hate speech discrimination in the provision of goods, services, and facilities in other areas such as employment. Seven, we understand that the collection and sharing of relevant, accurate, and timely data is critical to the success of this initiative and hereby commit to the transparency in the collection and communication to HDA of all information related to the policies, targets, and commitments in this pledge and the performance of the league in respect thereof on an annual basis. And eight, we will commit to provide HDA with funding commencing July 28, 2020 for the following purposes, to support social justice initiatives that target racism and access to, to justice for members of Black, Indigenous, and racialized uh, communities, uh, to create and maintain grassroots hockey development programs that will introduce, develop, and support Black, Indigenous, people of color players in minor hockey, and to create an anti-racism and unconscious bias training for use by minor hockey leagues across America. And so, um, so I think, and there's another, excuse me, there is a, you know, a disclaimer at the end that says we acknowledge, acknowledge the research that has proven that organizations with truly diverse teams perform better. And the fact that the game of hockey cannot truly grow to its potential without substantive changes to address systematic racism, systemic racism, excuse me. It is our hope that this pledge will be a meaningful first step to help the league open its doors to underrepresented visible minorities across North America. And I think that's really important. Like this, this pledge is, is really meaningful. And I think a lot of times you hear conversations of, I've seen some things on Twitter where it's like, Oh, cool. The NHL didn't play for two days. That cured racism. And it's like, quit talking out of your ass. I mean, if you're going to say that, just say it with your chest to say you're racist and let's move on. Um, but that's, uh, you have to look at actions taken by the league and you have to look at actions taken by the players in the league and recognize that this is a player driven process and you have to give props and respect to these individuals who are coming out with these you know with this pledge i mean this pledge is well thought out it's it's outlined it's you know we talk a lot in higher education of smart goals you know a specific measurable you know obtainable Oh, that's not it. <laughs> that's definitely no um, achievable, um, realistic, and timely, and and that's that's given here. Uh, and I think that these are really, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's just asking for representation. I and I think that that's what blows my mind the most is like, this is not something that our our black friends should be having to ask for. These are not something that our black pro athletes should be having to ask for. This should be happening inherently, and it's not because we're aware of the systems of oppression that have existed that keep folks out of these roles. Um, you know, truth be told, I, I would love to see some of the data on where these numbers are here. That first point of, you know, increasing the number of black executives, increasing the number of black hockey related personnel and increasing the employment of black non hockey related personnel. I'd love to see what those numbers are now, because if you're asking for a raise to 3.5%, a raise to 5% and a raise to 10% of those individuals respectively, how low is that number right now, man? I mean, like that's what, that's what blows my mind, you know? Um, you know, you can't really create diverse spaces that are really focused on diversity and inclusion without diverse individuals in the room. And that's where I'm saying, you know, if you don't have, 
you know, folks in your organization that can, can give you that perspective, any statement that you make is performative. Like any, any action steps that you want to take as an organization, if you're not willing to actually engage and do the work uh, and make it so that your organization reflects your values and the staff and, and, you know, personnel reflects your values, I'm not going to really believe what you're saying. <laughs> I'm not going to really engage with it. And so I really hope that the NHL is committed to, to achieving these eight things that are, are put forward in this HGA pledge by these athletes. I think, you know, they're, they're not big asks. I mean, it's, I hope, I hope that the NHL sees it that way. I mean, it's just simple equity. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that the NHL will see this and they'll act. And, and quite honestly, I'm hopeful that there are athletes and there are players in this league that will, if the NHL doesn't subscribe to this pledge and doesn't sign this pledge, they're going to hold them accountable in ways that, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Are they, do you take the ice if these things aren't met? And if you don't take the ice, how is the NF like, what's, what's the NHL going to do and how does that look? And, and how does that work in optics? And, you know, I've got to wonder, you know, to what extent, is this going to continue to be a player driven movement? I think that that's kind of a common theme across the board, across all sports. And I think if you were one of the people that say, what good is this going to do and what change is this going to bring? If the NHL starts working on this list and starts to meet these goals, that's what not playing on Thursday and Friday did. And that's worth it. Get uh, Take away 48 hours of hockey for me and I get this in return, and that is 100% worth it. And if you don't agree with that, you're not ro- you're not in the sport for the right reason. You're not watching the sport for the right reason. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's that's about all I've got on those, on those eight things. I, I hope that the NHL continues to make progress on that. And as the NHL makes progress on that, I'm sure that the Hockey Diversity Alliance, again, they, they're calling for open and honest transparency and communication from the league in step seven. And I'm hoping that that is something that the league will subscribe to and they'll agree to. And what I I'll bring those updates to you all here on the podcast and let you know how the league's doing, but also follow the hockey diversity Alliance uh, and make sure that you're up to date on their information. If you can donate to the organization, donate to the Alliance, buy their merchandise. That's going to only go further and help the organization is going to raise awareness toward the organization and continue to engage with them and continue to read the things that they're posting and understand where they're coming from and understand, uh, you know, the things that they're asking for from the league. And so um, again, really great work and I'm really excited to see what happens. And I hope that this is a step in the right direction for the league. I do want to wrap up this episode just kind of talking a little bit about some on-the-ice stuff, some potential trades coming down the pipeline specifically for the Columbus Blue Jackets here in the few here in the coming weeks. And I was really uh, fascinated by an article posted by Aaron Portsline today on The Athletic talking a little bit about some of the potential uh, players that are in play for the Jackets who they might have on their trading block. And I think for the most part, none of that really comes as a super surprise. Josh Anderson being the one player that's likely to be traded on uh, Ports Lines list, broken down by players that are likely on the radar and then uh, uh, not off limits was the third category. And so, you know, I think uh, a lot of very fair points about Josh Anderson. I think now more than ever, you are going to get value for Josh Anderson, especially in a salary in a league uh, where the salary cap is stagnant. And if the Jackets are looking to sign Anderson long term, uh, you know, are they going to have the money to commit to that? And do they want to commit to that, not knowing what the salary cap situation is going to look like here in the coming years, and knowing that you have some young guys who are due to get paid, still not having Pierre Luc Dubois under contract, uh, having 
you know, extending have not extended him yet. I'm looking at some of your defensemen, some young guys, Gavrikov, uh, and then some other young guys as they start to come through the pipeline and making sure that they're getting their money. And so uh, I, I would be shocked to see him stay in Columbus any longer than he already has. I doubt we'll see him take the ice again as a blue jacket, which is uh, bittersweet as he, you know, was such a part of that core identity, especially in that Tampa series last year. And so uh, it would be sad to move on from him, but I think it'll, it'll happen. I think, Potentially, you could look at Calgary as a potential landing zone for Josh. Josh, or Calgary, excuse me, expressed interest in Josh at the trade deadline based on reports. And I think uh, even now, there's some rumors about Johnny Goudreau being on their trading block. And so uh, I'd be interested to see if that would be something Yarmo is interested in doing and potentially looking at trading uh, Josh Anderson and maybe a prospect or even possibly one of his uh, two goalies, most likely Jonas Corbisalo to Calgary in exchange for Johnny Goudreau. Uh, should be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, again, on the radar, pretty much any defenseman that, whose name is not Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones, or Veladislav Gabrikov, I think you're pretty much, uh, you know, they you can see them move out uh, here in the next few weeks. I think the depth of at defense is so immense for the Blue Jackets to not part with some of that in exchange for a top six forward or, you know, some help there scoring, I think it would be, you know, a waste of assets. And I think that Yarmo knows that. And I think you'll see that come to fruition here in the coming here in the coming weeks. Again, you know, Portslion points out that Corpusalo and Merzlikens are both not, you know, they're both on the radar for being traded. And I do think that if the Jackets had to pick one, I think you would, I think Jonas Corpusalo will be the goaltender on the move here this summer, or I guess not this summer anymore, but uh, I can't imagine the Jackets parting with Elvis Merzlikens uh, for identity reasons, for his play. I mean, his stretch of five shutouts in eight games. I mean, come on. Uh, and Corpus Allo's trade stock has never been higher, and it most likely will never be higher. Uh, you know, coming off of an all-star season, how he performed in the playoffs, which was nothing short than immaculate, but let's be honest, maybe a little bit of an overperformance there in the playoffs, and so his trade stock has is, is never been higher. And so keep an eye out for that. And obviously some other folks that that are, you know, not off limits for the Jackets, I think, you know, Portsline said it best in one of the Front Nationwide podcasts uh, that he does. Uh, I don't know that anybody is necessarily off limits again, unless your name is Seth Jones, or Pierre Dubois, and maybe Zach Wierenski involved in that conversation as well. But, um, you know, some other folks to look out for there. I don't think you're going to see them part with too many prospects. I think they really like what they've got going on in the pipeline, and I'd be surprised to see them give that up. So, should be interesting to see where that goes. Um, should also be interesting to see what goes on on the ice in the couple in, in the coming days. All of the series tied up three one here on Monday um, when I'm recording this segment. So uh, you know I, I can't imagine um, any of the series going seven. I think all the teams that you see there with a three one lead, they're going to be in the conference uh, in the conference finals. So interesting to see how that plays out. But I've been wrong before, and I'm uh, I'll be okay being wrong again. I'd love to see some game seven hockey. So. Um, you know, that's about all I've got for this episode. I do, again, just want to thank you all for, for being here and, you know, talking a little bit about hockey here today and talking mostly about, uh, you know, the progress needed in the sport and talking about some of the things that are happening off the ice in hockey's advance towards social justice and activism. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me or you want to talk a little bit about some future segments or have any questions uh, to or 
like topics to bring up onto the pod, feel free to let me know. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at line change pod. You can shoot me an email at line change podcast at gmail.com. Follow me personally on Twitter at J Paul Ohio. And, um, you know, I, again, I appreciate y'all taking the time half hour out of your day to be with me today. Talk a little bit about hockey. I hope we can continue this conversation here later this week. Look for a new episode this Friday. And uh, again, thank you all for being here and we'll talk soon.